You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. It's great to be gathered with you. Uh, It's a great joy, as always, to sit under the teaching of God's Word and to hear from Him. Uh, We're going to continue our our series in Luke chapter 17, and we're going to be considering this morning uh, this idea of when will the kingdom of God come? When will the kingdom of God come? Uh, Some Pharisees asked Jesus this question, and He gives a response that is a little interesting. Uh, He's gonna tell us the kingdom in one sense has already come, and yet the kingdom has not fully come. And so go ahead and turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 17. We're gonna be looking at verses 20 to 37. On May 8th, 1945, uh, the headlines came out across the newspaper declaring VE Day in, during World War II, victory in Europe over the Nazi Germany powers. Uh, but many historians, many World War II experts say uh, VE Day was not really the true victory. Uh, maybe you're familiar with World War II history a little bit and you know that a year earlier uh, there was another significant day, D-Day. And on D-Day, uh, 1944, June, Uh, Over 1,000 ships crossed the English Channel and landed on the shores of Normandy. And these soldiers and and the air warfare and the ships came, and they won a decisive victory, pushing back the German forces. Uh, Most experts say that was the day that victory was secured. Uh, The war was won, although there were still many battles to be fought in the following year. And and in many ways, this is the same sense uh, when we think about the kingdom of God. When when the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom come? Uh, He says in one sense, it's already come. The victory has been achieved at the cross. And yet, uh, there is still a war to be fought. The, The full end will come in the future. And so look with me at verses 20 and 21, and we see this reality that the kingdom of God has already come. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. All right, so the the scene here is a group of Pharisees coming to Jesus, and they're wondering, okay, you've been going around, uh, you've been doing these miracles, you've been teaching, saying you're speaking on behalf of God, and so when is it gonna happen? Uh, When when is the kingdom gonna come? And and for the Pharisees and and all the Jews, uh, their understanding of the kingdom was an earthly political kingdom, right? If you remember the the situation, the historical context here, the Jews are are in their own land, but really they're strangers in their own land. They're under Roman rule, 
And, and all through the Old Testament, they've been waiting for this Messiah to come, this king who will come and overthrow the enemies of God. In, in many ways, their expectation was correct. Uh, if you go back and, and look at Daniel 7 and other passages, there's these promises that one will come, a Messiah will come and conquer the enemies of God. He'll come with cosmic signs in the heavens. He'll shake the earth and his kingdom will be established. And so in many ways, these Pharisees are, are asking a right question. Okay, we, we've seen you doing some things and yet when are you gonna make it happen? And notice what Jesus says. Uh, he tells them that the kingdom will not come in observable ways and in signs that can be pointed to. You see, Jesus has been conducting his ministry uh, in, in a rather humble way, right? He, he's been spending time with the prostitutes and the tax collectors. Uh, he comes from the backwater town of Bethlehem, right? He comes into Jerusalem on a, on a donkey as the king. And so it's all backwards in the Jewish mind. For him to, to end up on a cross just doesn't fit the storyline, and yet Jesus is saying, uh, the kingdom has come. Notice there in verse 21, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is in your midst, is in the midst of you. Uh, so the first thing we see is that the, the kingdom of God did not come in ways that were expected. The kingdom of God came in rather surprising ways. Jesus tells us it comes like a mustard seed, starts very small, it starts like yeast in bread. It's, it's small and looks so insignificant. But over time, as it grows, uh, it will become a great tree. The second thing we see is that Jesus, at his first coming, inaugurated the kingdom of God. And so when he says, the kingdom is here, it's in the midst of you, uh, you know, that's been taken uh, different ways at different times. So some translations even say the kingdom of God is inside of you. Uh, but really, I think for a number of reasons, that's probably not the best way to understand what Jesus is saying here. Uh, first of all, he's, he's talking to the Pharisees. And so for him to tell them, you know, these, these hard-hearted, self-righteous people that have rejected him again and again, uh, the kingdom is inside of you, just doesn't quite fit. Uh, secondly, you know, nowhere else in the New Testament are we told that the kingdom of God is something we look inward for, something we, we find within ourselves. Uh, the kingdom doesn't enter us, rather we enter the kingdom through Christ. And so I think what Jesus is saying here is uh, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. In what sense? Uh, it's because the king has arrived. It's because I, the king of the kingdom, am standing in front of you, and wherever I am, wherever I go, wherever my rule and reign comes to bear, there the kingdom is manifest. And so Jesus has been going around, he's been healing and forgiving sins and promising the outpouring of his spirit and telling people that first he must go to the cross. And so when Jesus came at his first coming, he inaugurated the kingdom of God. It broke into this world, and he began to establish his rule and reign over his people. This brings us to our third point here, that uh, when we think about the kingdom of God, it's important that we understand what is the kingdom of God. 
Now, many books have been written on this. We don't have time to unpack all of it this morning. Uh, I'm not claiming to have a full grasp of what that means, but the kingdom of God, is, it, it goes from cover to cover in the scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. The reality that God established a world in which he would be king to rule over his created people, uh, to rule over people made in his image that would submit to his ways and, and walk in the way he intended us to walk. And so wherever the rule and reign of God is over his people, that's where the kingdom is present. Uh, we think back to the beginning, and, and we know God made Adam and Eve to live under his rule and reign in the garden, to walk with him in close fellowship. And yet they rebelled, they rejected him. They said, we want to go our own way. We don't want you as our king. We want to be the kings and queens of our own life and choose our own path. But God's plan to establish a kingdom uh, with his people under his reign did not end when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. Uh, God called a man named Abraham out of all the people of the earth, and he made him into a great nation. He redeemed the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt, and he brought them into the promised land. He gave them his law and his word, and he said, if you will walk in my ways, I will be your king. You will find life abundantly. You will flourish and live as I created you to live. But we know if we, we go back and recount the story of Israel again and again and again, the Israelites said, we don't want you as our king. We want to get our own king like those nations over there. And we want to worship other gods beside you and, and walk in our own ways. And so this is the story that God is seeking to establish a kingdom where people made in his image will submit and enjoy life under his rule and reign. And that kingdom begins now. Uh, God promised in the Old Testament because of our sinful hearts, it would take a savior, a Messiah to come and establish that kingdom once and for all. A kingdom that would have no end, a kingdom where citizens are born again and have new hearts so they gladly submit to the ways of God. And so when we think about Christ being born in Bethlehem, we know he was born to be a king. All right, we're gonna celebrate that in just a, a month or more here at Christmas time. Jesus came to establish a kingdom. Uh, he came to rule and reign, and yet, at his first coming, when he establishes this kingdom, we see that it's a kingdom very different than the kingdoms of this world. In fact, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Uh, it's a spiritual kingdom. It's a kingdom that uh, men and women can't see except with the eyes of faith. And, and Jesus says to the Pharisees here, uh, my kingdom has come. And, and so it's important when we think about what is the kingdom of God. Uh, the kingdom of God is, is God's rule over God's people through King Jesus and that is over those who have been redeemed, who have put their trust in him for their forgiveness of sins and have been made right into this new relationship. Uh, each local church, West Wind Church, is an embassy of the kingdom of heaven, an outpost to display what it looks like to live under the rule and reign of God. 
yes, not perfectly in this fallen world, but as we're being remade back into the image of God and gladly submit to his ways and, and live as citizens of his kingdom as we are intended to, uh, we display the glory of God to a broken and dark world. Uh, God's kingdom rules and reigns through each church, each embassy on earth, and every embassy sends us out as ambassadors, as individuals who represent our king and our God. And so this is God's design. We are to be a signpost for the kingdom, uh, to display what it looks like to be the people under his rule and reign who are being remade back into the image of Christ. And can I just remind us this morning, uh, in light of all that's been going on uh, these past, this past week especially, uh, with the election and, and all of this, uh, America, when we, when we see Jesus talking about this, it's important for us to remember that society at large and, and America is not the kingdom of God. That's good news, brothers and sisters. America is not the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of this world. And we ultimately do not put our hope in the kingdom of this world, right? Ultimately, our hope is not in who's elected president or who will reign for the next, or not reign, but who will be the, excuse me, it's not a monarchy, is it? Uh, who, will, who will hold power as president for the next four years? Uh, presidents come and go. Politics change and come and go. Now hear me, I'm not saying these things are not important. Uh, we are dual citizens. We, we live in this country. We are to contend for just laws and make every effort to vote and serve and love our neighbor through those things. But we are primarily citizens of God's kingdom. Jesus is our king and there is no election for him. He rules and reigns over all things and he is not surprised by the outcome. And so can I just encourage you, if, if you've been struggling with anxiety, sleeplessness, uh, maybe you're elated, maybe you're distraught, whatever the case, Jesus reminds us this morning that we belong to a kingdom that will not be shaken. We have a king who rules on his throne, and our hope is in him. Right? We, we don't have a national faith where our hope is in the future direction of America ultimately. We are a part of a global faith family. God is building his kingdom from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and he will rule and reign over his people for all eternity. And so I just want to encourage you to put your hope in him. Turn off the TV Start your day each week seeking first the kingdom of God. If you're, you know, it's so easy to get caught up in the immediate situation and to let that consume us. Uh, but Christ is our king. His kingdom has come. We belong to it. This is our first priority. Everything else is temporary and fleeting. The kingdom has come, Jesus says, and yet, notice what he says to the disciples, the kingdom has not yet fully come. Beginning in verse 22 to 24, Jesus turns now, not talking to the Pharisees, but to his inner circle, the disciples, 
And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, look here, don't go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. And so on the one hand, Jesus tells the Pharisees, you've missed it. If you're looking at me and you don't see that the kingdom has come, you're blind. And yet he tells the disciples, on the other hand, don't think that just because the kingdom's come, uh, there isn't more to come. They say, you know, when, there'll be a, Jesus says there's going to be a time after he departs that the disciples will be longing for the coming of the Son of Man. That's the Messiah. That's Jesus. And he says, you won't see it. It won't happen in your lifetime. Uh, you're going to pass. There's going to be a time from my first coming to my second coming. And don't be deceived. Uh, don't be tricked that somebody comes to you and says, did you see what's happening over in Galilee? Uh, did you hear about this situation in Jerusalem? Uh, Jesus is not gonna return at his second coming in a secret or hidden way where we have to figure out all the puzzle pieces and put the headlines together and make sure the stars align. Jesus' kingdom will come in an unmistakable way at his second coming. He tells us that, right? You don't have to try to figure it out and search for signs and, and, and put things together. It's gonna be like lightning in the sky, unmistakable, sudden. You won't miss it. So don't be led astray looking for situations that somehow might come together. Jesus, in fact, tells us not even the Son of Man, not even he knows the day or the hour of his return. It will be sudden, it will be unmistakable. Uh, you can't miss it, and so, well, we shouldn't be those consumed with trying to put together uh, the political headlines, trying to figure out how things fit, and maybe if all these things come together, then we'll know he's coming. No, our eyes and our hearts should be fixed on Christ, who's ruling, who's reigning, who will come, and when he comes, we won't miss it. Notice then that Jesus goes on to tell us that the kingdom, when it comes, will be a time of unexpected judgment. In verses 26 to 30, he says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And so Jesus tells us that when the kingdom is consummated at his second coming, when it's fully realized, it will be a day of unexpected judgment. Uh, what he highlights here in, in the days of Noah, the days of Lot, 
Certainly we know from the, the context of the Old Testament, these were wicked days. Uh, these were days of rampant sexual sin. These were days of godlessness and rejection of him. But, but what Jesus seems to highlight here is just the ordinariness of daily life. Marrying, giving in marriage, uh, planting, building, buying, selling. People were going on about their normal activities. Uh, unaware, ignorant, probably willfully ignorant of anything to do with God. Uh, if we read back the story of, of God's judgment on Sodom, we see that Lot comes to his sons-in-laws and says, listen, this place is going to be destroyed. You need to escape with me. And they think he's joking. Uh, they, they, they mock him and they stay and perish. Life will be as normal in many ways. People will be surprised. And Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3 that in the last days, uh, scoffers will come. And when we read and talk about passages like this, they'll think, really, Jesus is going to come back? Uh, I think he said that 2,000 years ago, right? Why hasn't he returned yet? And just like in the days of Lot and Noah, there will be a scoffing, a skepticism, a disbelief that the Lord is the king and he's a holy and righteous God. And so it is in our age. People are uh, going about their daily lives willfully ignorant of who God is and the worship he deserves. And Jesus is saying that in that scenario, the Son of Man will return, and there will be unexpected judgment. God, who is a holy God and deserves to be praised, will pour out his righteous wrath on those who mock and reject him. And so Jesus goes on, he, he goes on to tell the disciples, because that is the reality, we need to be vigilant and faithful. Uh, it's so easy, I know, even as we read these things for us, to, to have such dull hearts that even for us as believers, we feel, is this really going to happen? I mean, it's just a beautiful day, we're going to go out and do our ordinary things, but really fire and sulfur and a flood... And God says, Jesus says, yes, these things really historically happen, and yes, they will happen again. And so we have to live by faith. We, we have to be vigilant. Notice what he says in verses uh, 31 to 33. He says, on that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. And so Jesus gives us some more pictures here about someone up on a roof uh, in Palestine in that time. You know, you would sleep or, or spend time in the evening on the flat roof to enjoy the cool breeze or to do your laundry uh, and, and he's saying, uh, you know, when uh, something suddenly happens, this was a common kind of word picture they used, if something like a, a war or an enemy comes into the city, you're not going to have time to go down inside and grab your things, 
right? If you're out working in the field, you're not gonna have time to run home, uh, pack your belongings, get things together, and get out. It's gonna be too late. It's gonna be too late, and so you have to be prepared, you have to be ready, you have to be vigilant. And Jesus is telling us that we as believers need to be ready, we need to be prepared, that when he comes, there won't be time to prepare ourselves. Uh, So we have to be prepared today. We have to be living in faith, we have to be clinging to him and be ready. And notice what he says, uh, remembers, remember Lot's wife. Now if you remember the story of, of Lot and his wife and uh, the angels came into the city of Sodom in the evening and, and said, God's gonna destroy this place, you need to get out. And, and as they were fleeing, uh, running to safety and God's merciful provision of deliverance, what does Lot's wife do? She looks back. Uh, She turns back longingly, looking to the pleasures and her life in Sodom, and and instead of trusting God and running forward in faith, uh, she longs for the things of this world, for her comforts, her security there, rather than putting her trust and hope in God. And she's turned into a pillar of salt. Uh, what, What Jesus is saying here is that Uh, We need to have our hearts in full allegiance to him. We need to recognize and live in such a way that we're bowing the knee to our king every moment, every day. Not being torn. uh, Not having one foot in the world, one foot in the church. And, And maybe that describes you this morning. Maybe you're in a place where, you know, your 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 faith is is weak, you're struggling to believe, uh, you're, you're pursuing sin in this area, the pleasures of this world are, are more delightful to you than the treasures of God's kingdom and knowing him, having life in him. Jesus warns us this morning, uh, don't live like that. Don't be like Lot's wife. Don't turn back. The pleasures of this world are temporary Uh, The sins of this world, they promise so much, but they always leave us bankrupt. But the treasures of God's kingdom are eternal, eternal, abundant life, knowing him, being with him forever, living as we were created to live as his image bearers, finding life abundant. And so I just want to ask this morning, are are you treasuring Christ above the things of this world? Are you treasuring him above your security and your comfort and your pleasure? And are you seeking first his kingdom? Jesus says, don't be like Lot's wife. Be ready. He goes on to say, lose your life. Uh, If you try to hold on to your life in this world, if you try to have it now, you'll surely lose it, right? This is his common metaphor of discipleship. Uh, Will you take up your cross? Will you deny yourself? Will you find that the pleasures of God's kingdom far outweigh the fleeting pleasures of Egypt, of this world, of Sodom? Uh, That looks so good, but they destroy us in the end. And and I'm just burdened at this point. I've I've had a number of close 
uh, people in my life in the last couple of years who, who started out you know, years ago, believing Christ, seeking after him, finding that he was indeed a treasure worth leaving all things behind, who have then gone on to get entangled in the things of this world. And you know, it's not so much these gross, big sins that are just so uh, scandalous that leave them walking away from Christ and the kingdom. No, it's more these things that Noah and and. We're going on a Noah's day and Lot's day. Ordinary things, marrying, work, building, planning, hunting, fishing, kids' extracurricular activities, entertainment. These kinds of normal things that we give ourselves to above seeking the kingdom that dull our hearts, that, that cause us to slowly drift. And one day we wake up and we say, you know, I don't think I believe this anymore. I don't think that Jesus is the king, and I'm gonna live my life as I please. And Jesus warns us this morning that there is a day of coming judgment. Don't drift, brothers and sisters. Don't grow dull. Keep believing in Christ and seeking his kingdom. He is better than anything this world has to offer. Jesus calls us to be vigilant and faithful, especially when things uh, are going as ordinary, especially when we can have our senses dulled and diluted to the reality of his reign and his coming kingdom. Finally, notice we see Jesus tells us that on that day when he comes, the kingdom will result in deliverance and destruction. He tells us in verses 34 to 37, I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And so what Jesus is saying is, is that on that day, there's going to be a separation. Some to everlasting life in his eternal kingdom and some to everlasting destruction. Uh, and these are close relationships. Two in one bed. Uh, two people working together. These are our family members. Some that we go to bed with at night. These are our coworkers, some that we've known for decades and we work beside and we love. And maybe they're ignorant of the coming judgment of God, maybe they don't know, but there is a day coming where God will separate the sheep from the goats. He'll separate those who are citizens of his kingdom versus citizens of this world. There is great destruction and judgment coming. The disciples say, how will we know? What will this look like? Jesus gives us this vivid picture where the dead bodies are. There the vultures gather together. Uh, if you've been out on a country road anytime driving and you see some vultures gathered circling around, you know for sure there's some death happening down below. 
And Jesus is saying that's what it's gonna be like on the last day. It will be unmistakable. You won't have to go out and find it. There will be judgment and death, and it will be unmistakable. This is the bad news of God's kingdom coming. Did you, did you know that? That the kingdom of God is not good news if you don't know the king? If you don't bow your knee to him, the kingdom of God is, should be terrifying to you. Because if you are not in Christ, then that means you are a rebel, an enemy of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is holy, holy, holy. He alone is worthy of praise and worship and glory. And when we as his creation reject and deny him and put ourselves above him in pride and arrogance, we will be humbled. And so the kingdom is only good news if there's a cross. Did you notice I missed one verse as we're going through here? Back in verse 25, Jesus says something must happen before the kingdom can come. He says, first he that is the son of man, Jesus must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. You see, even though God is a holy and righteous God who must punish sin, he is also a merciful and loving God, abounding in steadfast love. And Jesus at his first coming, he came to be a lamb who would be crucified on the cross. He came as a baby born in the manger in backwater Bethlehem. He came as a servant who got down on his knees and washed the feet of his disciples. He came as those who was with the outcast, the prostitutes, the broken, the irreligious. Ultimately, he came to be slain as the Lamb of God who takes away the coming wrath. Uh, the only crown he got was the crown of thorns. The only title he held was a mocking sign that said, King of the Jews. But it was true. At his first coming, Christ came to pay the penalty for our sin. He came to pour grace upon grace for those who would recognize who he is and bow the knee to him, who would turn from their own selves and trusting in their own righteousness and say, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. This is the gospel and the hope that Christ extends to us. God is patient, Peter tells us, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so I would just plead with you this morning, if you don't know Christ, if you haven't bowed your knee to him and acknowledged him as your Lord and Savior, uh, would you do that this morning? Uh, there is a coming judgment that you will not escape. It will be unexpected. It will be deserved. It's something we all deserve. But for the grace of God through the cross of Christ, we can have peace with him. We can enter his kingdom and live with him eternally. There is a day coming where he will return, not as the lamb, but as the lion of the tribe of Judah. 
He will come on the white horse with a sword from his mouth and the armies of heaven, and he will bring judgment on those who have rebelled against him. Today is the day of salvation, and in that day, it will be too late. Would you turn to him? Would you trust in him and what he's done for you in his love at the cross? I want to invite uh, the band to come up as we close here. And I want us to think about how we open this morning, this idea of D-Day and V-E-Day. As I mentioned, they say that on D-Day, a year before the official end of the war, uh, the victory was achieved. Uh, success, everybody's celebrating and, and thinking this momentum will continue on. It's just a matter of time. But for those people who were on the ground, can you imagine those who stormed the, the beaches of Normandy and they continued to fight in the trenches for another year? Uh, they continued to carry arms and see their uh, fellow soldiers fall and die and fight many battles uh, it probably didn't feel like it was finished. Yes, there was celebration. Yes, there was confidence and hope. And yet the battle continued. And, and so it is for us, brothers and sisters. Jesus has achieved victory over sin, Satan, and death at the cross. He has made a way for us to have peace with God. He has brought his kingdom to this world and he rules and reigns even today. And yet, uh, the war is not over. We live in between the times of Christ's first and second coming, between D-Day and V-E Day. And we have to fight the good fight of faith. We have to contend for the truth and keep being vigilant and believing God's word and seeking his kingdom. In spite of all the currents of this world and culture, that try to pull us back and, and get us focused on a thousand other things. But we fight as those who know the end of the story. We fight as those who know that the victory is secured. And for those of us who are in Christ, who have repented of our sins and trusted him, uh, when Jesus comes and brings his kingdom, this is not going to be a day of destruction but a day of ultimate deliverance. A day where King Jesus will rule and reign in a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We will only be there because of the grace and mercy of God given at the cross. We all deserve his judgment and yet he's poured out his mercy through Christ. And so may we be those as we realize that the kingdom has already come and yet it's still to come. May we be those who walk by faith as we wait for him to return. Uh, next week, Pastor Keith's gonna unpack how we do that practically. How do we endure living in between the first and second coming, D-Day and V-E-Day? But may you set your hope this morning on Christ and his kingdom. He has won the victory at the cross. He is ruling and reigning over all things. Let me pray for us.
King Jesus, we come before you this morning and we praise you that you are a good and loving king. You are a king who would come and lay down his life for your enemies and be poured out even to death, death on a cross. Lord, we thank you that you extend peace and forgiveness and fellowship. But God, we recognize that you are a holy and righteous king. And so, Lord, we pray that this week as we go out, would you help us to be your ambassadors? Lord, would you help us to warn others of the coming judgment? And would you help us to extend the hope and forgiveness of the gospel? Lord, would you help us to fight the good fight of faith and to not be dull or to drift from you, but to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Oh Lord, we're so weak, we're like sheep that stray, and so we need you to be the shepherd of our souls, to keep us, to lead us, and so we bow to you, we entrust our hearts to you this morning, and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.